KCRFM New York. This is Jazz Alternatives. My name is Mitch Goldman. Ah, you're in the right place to be. We've got some stunning, stunning music, astounding, ear smashing music that you've never heard, and a brilliant guest. I'm really excited about this one. We're going to be here for the next three hours. Can I can I tell you who the guest is? I know you don't want to. <laughs> yeah. We're we're keeping it. Or we keep you in the shadows. Okay, keep it cool. Keep a little surprise. Big reveal later. We're gonna do the big reveal coming up. <laughs> okay. But uh, I think we should light it up right now with some music the folks have never heard from the group Last Exit on WKCR. <laughs>
I'm smiling. I cannot help smiling. <laughs> With that music playing, oh, this is going to be fun. My name is Mitch Goldman. You're listening to WKCR. We call this show Deep Focus. And what we do is uh, we find some live recordings of a great band on a great night. And we have a musician guest unpack the experience of listening to that. And tonight's going to be a good one. A very, very good one. I never say that, but I'm saying it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That band we were listening to is called Last Exit. And uh, it's a very unmistakable individual group. And here to experience it with us is fantastic drummer. Welcome back to the studio, Don McKenzie. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So now Last Exit was a group you were listening to right there. Um, Peter Brotzman on mostly, uh, I think it was baritone saxophone there, Sonny Schrock playing guitar, Bill Laswell on bass, Ronald Shannon Jackson drums. It was kind of a super group, uh, each of them band leaders in their own right, and they would get together and do these live shows. They left a smattering of recordings, mostly live recordings, and did really only a relative handful of shows together. But... Their reputation is uh, long and and deep, and uh, but more importantly, the music's fantastic, and we've got some live recordings like that one, which we'll tell you about that folks haven't heard. But I'm curious what your uh, experience is with this group, Don. You're uh, <laughs> I don't know if people know you to have played with any of these guys, or, or tell me, uh, or is it is it fandom? What tell me? Well, initially fandom, of course. Uh... I was, I mean, how could you be a drummer playing uh, aggressive music, fusion music, and not be influenced by uh, Ronald Shannon Jackson? You know, you know I, I'm, when I grew up playing drums, it was just uh, uh, a lot of the rock players had that, had that uh, aggressiveness, had, had that style, even dress. You know, I, I remember watching MTV. And uh, it was like '80s, '90s, and it was a big hair band. So, so were you into that stuff at the time? Or absolutely, it, because yeah. that because uh, that was the only that, that was the idiom that uh, the genre where where I could pl- really play drums. You know, um, most of my peers were into uh, hip hop and rap, and I'm I'm totally into that too as well. I mean, I gr- I went to high school with De La Soul. I grew up. Hanging out with Mace at his at his house, you know, you know, yeah, you know, and uh, so so I was totally into that. I used to hang out, you know, a Prince Ball, Stetson Sonics. We used to go to parties together, we, you know. So I I, I was totally into uh, the hip hop scene, you know, and but as a drummer, I wasn't able to really express myself in in that because it was mainly loops, you know, Bomb Squad, you know. Looping up James Brown, which is great stuff. You know, Sonic was one of the first hip hop groups I remember that actually had a live band. Yes, well, I mean, uh, the the big song was uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, oh, man, Prince Paul is gonna kill me. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, uh, which album? <laughs> oh, God, man, so you're talking all that jazz. Talking oh, okay, yeah, I forgot all the jazz. Oh, man. Man, I can't, I can't remember that. But it was a, they had a big single. Uh, somebody can call up. Can people call up? 
Sure. I don't know. Are they going to get through? <laughs> well, well uh, if somebody can call up and, and remind me uh, of uh, that that song with the live drums, which is Stetsasonic's one of the big hits. You know, that that would be great. But uh, getting back to what I was talking about, I used to just watch MTV. I used to see the big drum kits. Yeah. You know, Who were some I, of the guys that, that turned you on as a drummer? Oh, I mean, come on. Neil Peart. Neil yeah. Peart. Uh, Tommy Aldridge. Really heavy players, uh, you know. I used to watch, you know, White St- White Snake videos and see, and see Tommy Aldridge, even though he's not playing on the album. I think it's Ainsley Dunbar is playing on the album, but uh, I used to see him in the video just twirling the sticks. I used to go to clinics with my buddy Maurice Shirley. We used to, I remember we went to a clinic at Long Island Drum Center with Tommy Aldridge, and you know, just blown away by just the theatrics of playing drums, playing big drum sets, and I and I didn't get that when I would listen to uh, my uh, the straight ahead jazz, the Max Roach, and, uh, and and those things. Not until not until I, I was pulled aside by uh, Everett Collins, uh, one of my school teachers, uh, music program at Amityville High School. He pulled me aside and he said, uh, "You should you should check out that Billy Cobham album, you know, Spectrum, you know." And then he and then uh, you know I was like, oh, I put it on and it was. It just didn't have the didn't have the tightness that I that my ears were tuned to, that uh, the compression on the snare was really open and, and very free, and I was like, oh man, this is all right, this is not, but it's not Neil Peart, you know what I mean? Yeah. Not until I mean, can, can you imagine me saying that? But not until not until not until I was watching Rock School, which was a yeah. a British program. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, sure, yeah. It was a British program, and uh, I think it used to come on PBS thirteen and. Uh, they were talking about fusion, and then they they showed a short clip of Mahavishnu Orchestra, and Billy Cobham did a single stroke role mm. that just <laughs> I still feel it in my neck. Talking, single yeah. stroke role, man. Yeah, I mean he, he he started off the song, and it was just it was just explosions and just you know McLaughlin and. And it was the clip was must have been about forty five seconds long. Yeah. And then they went, but but that blew my mind. That was the first time I saw that type of energy and power and confidence. Yeah. You use in jazz when you're playing jazz as a drummer, your main focus is is the ride cymbal and the hi hat. You know what I mean? You're leading the band with the ride cymbal and the hi hat, and you're you're comping with your left hand or on the snare drum. But uh, in rock fusion, you're really playing. The bass drum, which I think changes everything. Bass drum really defining the beat, as opposed to implying the beat. Mm-hmm. You're defining it. You're, you're saying, okay, this is the one. You know, this is the three, and you and you're really doing that. And and not until I got into Shannon, Cobham, uh, you know, uh, Tony Williams in a, you know the, uh, uh, the Lifetime stuff and, and the later stuff. Believe it. Then I started to to see that oh man these guys are just as hip, you know what I mean? If you if if anybody wants to Google Ronald Shannon Jackson right now, you could see uh, just the way he dressed. I think everybody was influenced by Miles Davis in those at that time. Yes, right? you know what I mean. Yes, among others, but yeah, yes, but Miles definitely. was really the king, and Cecil Taylor also. Yeah, still, yeah who Shannon also played with. Yes, Shannon. Oh, Cecil told me some stories about Shannon. 
you know, I don't, I don't know if the, see, I don't know if I, I, I gotta, I gotta see what I, what I can reveal today. <laughs> I got a lot of inside information and private stories. Uh, I don't know, but, but, you know, I saw that uh, in Shannon. I saw Billy Cobham playing the, the, fifteen piece kit. You know, four toms and you know, four floor toms and two bass drums. You know, fives, the the clear acrylic drums, and then he had the Tama kit, and I saw that type of power and energy that I, I that I that I wanted in my playing, and I think I think that's a major influence in my playing right now. Um, you know, it's Shannon. I, there's a story of, of Shannon going to see uh, a police concert. You know, the uh-huh. police yeah. staying Stuart Copeland, Andy Summers, and then he. He was, uh, I think, way back in the audience. And when Stuart Copeland hit that peisty, rude crash, he said he could hear that crash acoustically as well as through the PA. And he said, I want all my cymbals like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, so Shannon was like, then I, he wasn't just the type of player that would just go after the, this old K cymbal and just, you know, tip on it and, and you know and then you, you you sit there and you bury it bury it in your backyard and you you take it up and it's even dirtier because all the dirt is in the in the lathing and you know but he wanted that direct penetration that direct connection to the last guy the guy in the last uh, row of the of the theater well he would say you know, you know sometimes uh, I spent a lot of time on the road with him and a lot of time listening to music with him and a lot of time interviewing him here, actually. Really? He was on the show many times. Really? Wow. And you give me those tapes. I, I will. Okay, please. Um, one thing that he would uh, sometimes, like, you know, we'd be on a show, there'd be another band, and there'd be some, like, you know, mincing little player tapping the drums, you know, playing their little beats. And I could see Shannon's skin crawl. He would get, like, it would, it would have physically upset him yep. to see somebody not he'd say drums they were invented to communicate yes, across yes. great distances yes this is what yeah man and, this and is, it, you, you can't the drum won't sound it won't ring unless yes. you got to you got to strike it you got to sting it sting it it's almost like martial arts if anybody you know watches me or uh video on youtube or something or or or, or listens to my solo albums They'll see me stinging the drums. You got to sting it, like uh, strike it in a way where the sound comes out. And also you want to strike it with enough velocity that you get both heads to resonate. If, it, you know, if you're hitting a two-headed drum, you, you know, and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of players don't do that. You see the, you see the thing about it? I, I really have to thank my parents for, for the type of player that I am today because... I grew up in a house, and I think that's a, a big part of me playing at the same at the vo- velocity, the volume, the energy that I do. Because if you grew up if you grew up in an apartment building, you can't really dig into the drums. So you you know you start to tip, you tap, and you know, st- you can still get your, your facility together and stuff and and your technique. But my parents never restricted me as far as volume wise. You know, and that's, that's I, pretty, I think, can you imagine that? That's pretty, I, can't, I can't even imagine how they tolerated this, the drums. Because I, I, at one point in my life, I was practicing about 
eight hours a day during the summer. I would uh, I would wake up. I, I I wonder if my mom still has has it. I wrote a note to my mom. Imagine a kid writing a note saying, "I want to practice these times." I said I wrote a note and I said, uh, "I want to practice from 10 a.m. to 8 a.m. every day." You know, and they allowed me to do that. My dad was at work, of course, but uh, you know, my mom. <laughs> And, you know, and they allowed me to do that. And they, I could practice at any volume I wanted to. Yeah, that is, I think a lot of people don't realize Don't how realize, rare that is. Yeah, yeah, because even to this day, I mean, I have a studio that I practice in, in uh, Williamsburg, you know, uh, that, that, that I could just, I could just wail, I could just express. You know, I'm not saying that you have to really 100% of the time, uh, be at volume 11, you know, but but you should be able to go to volume 11 for an hour, but then you still have to take care of your sensitivity as well and be able to play, play softly, play uh, uh, pianissimo, just, just, you know, figure out how the drums sound light at a, at a, at a light volume and, uh, but my parents just allowed me to play, and then I, I, I think the first album. I have to tell the story because, because uh, I don't think people know that you were the you you and I were on the road for for quite some time. With we uh, were we were yeah with uh, Vernon Reed, which was uh, which was amazing for me because the first album I ever bought with my own money was Living Colors Vivid. Great record. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Yeah. And then yeah. and then ninety five comes and I'm playing with Vernon at Irving Plaza. Oh, that was a fun gig too. I I, I it was all right. I <laughs> I, I, I know yeah, I could I could have done better, but I mean I mean you know I'm never happy with my performances. But but imagine that the little kid that buys Vernon's album and then I'm playing with Vernon at Irving Plaza with the Roots. Roots with, were on that. Yeah, the Roots show. were on the gig. Yeah, I got a I got a story to tell about uh, Amir. I want to hear listening. it. No, okay, I I, okay, it. okay. We, we don't. I really want to hear it. But we're we're losing track. Okay, of, uh, we're losing track of the. Uh, I'm sorry. I, no, I get... listen, man. It goes where it goes. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But uh, we've got. Uh, let me just uh, let folks who might just be tuning in know that we're. The show's called Deep Focus. Uh, or maybe tonight it should be Broad Focus. Yes. Broad. <laughs> but no, no, we call it Deep Focus, and uh, the focus overall will be on the group Last, Last Exit. Exit. We have some thrilling live recordings of them you heard a little bit earlier and I was asking about your uh, fandom and, and I gotta say that's really interesting what you're saying I had no idea that you came out of the rock thing first then into the fusion and then I guess into jazz stuff yeah. and which is really interesting but um, Last Exit so I mean Last Exit was not this is not like something that everybody was on the cover of every magazine and on every radio station and um, but because uh, you suggested the topic of last episode, I was like, "Well, yeah." Well, well, there are multiple reasons why I suggested it. Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, I, I did a, I did a, a album. Uh, Bill Laswell produced it. I just did uh, Bernie Rowell's solo album, playing loud drums, and um, Bill and I have gotten close. I did a tr- uh, quartet trio thing. With James Blood Omer and Bill Laswell, 
and uh, and Bill is also helping me out on my new solo album. Great, man. That's so I mean, I, I mean, so so this is why I, I I mentioned Bill. This is why I love Bill, and I I also was a fan of Bill. I mean, how could you not be a fan of the guy that yeah. pro- produced Rocket? Yeah, with Herbie Hancock. <laughs> Bill is an icon to me. I don't want to. I, I know he's listening, but I, you know, I don't want to get too. Well, and especially I think about this time. Yeah, Bill Laswell had a very high profile for making some very successful Mick Jagger pop records, including those. But also, you know, he was for those of us who were, you know, downtown New York music scene. He was cranking out a tremendous volume and broad, broad variety of really fascinating music that was uh, cut across and kind of destroyed every genre category anybody could think of and uh, I mean I can't think of anybody that was more productive at that time and at the same time making you know big hit records so he was um, he had his feet in both yeah yeah yeah. very uh, there's nobody really to compare him to even in that sense and um, Shannon who you've talked about um, we haven't mentioned the earth-shaking Sonny Chirac on oh, guitar, yeah. who, yeah, Sonny. I mean, I mean, Sonny Chirac. I mean, Bill just gave me. He, Bill reissued that uh, that Sonny Chirac album. Ask oh, ask the ages. ages. Oh, what a beautiful. Bill record, just man. gave that to me at the session. Uh, a, a CD of it, and I bought. Uh, I bought the CD when it came out, and Bill just gave me a copy because he just reissued it. Fantastic. And it's just amazing. I mean, it's Elvin Jones, you know, Charlotte Moffat. I got Pharaoh Scott. Sanders and Sonny Chirac. <laughs> Hold on, put, put, let's put on the brakes right okay. now. Hold <laughs> yeah, on, everybody. Yeah, we're going. We will pause while you go order it right <laughs> now and download it. We'll wait for you because if you don't have Sonny yeah. Chirac, Ask the Ages, Ugh. you're, I mean, that that's that's one of the the, the keystones of all this yeah. All this music. Um, Sonny Chirac, brilliant guitar player who'd been on, uh, uh, he's on, is he on uh, Jack Johnson, Miles Davis record, I think, uncredited on that. Uh, yeah. He was on, in the late 60s, early 70s, he was doing stuff like that. He played with uh, Herbie Mann for years. He was on um, Pharoah Sanders records. He uh, he had a, a really, and he made a number of great records of his own. And uh, utterly unlike any other guitar player, completely distinctive sound. And then he was off the scene for a bunch of years, and or nearly off the scene. And Bill Laswell had a lot to do with him coming back home. Yeah. And then he had a whole second career, and uh, died very suddenly, very heart uh, attack. Yeah. yeah, heart attack at age fifty-three, which was really um, heartbreaking for. All of his legion, growing number of fans. He, he was kind of. Uh, people were waking up to him in a bunch of different parts of the music-loving world. Kind of like the jam band scene. People were getting into him, and mm-hmm. he did the Space Ghost theme yeah. song, and he did it was like all these things emerging, and uh, he was snatched away from us. But he's a member of Last Exit. Yeah, yeah. and we've also got Herr Brotzman. Yeah. Peter. 
Peter Brolt's been playing the, uh, on the reeds, and he's bringing a level of ruckus that, <laughs> like, almost leaving the rest of the guys behind. Yeah, yeah, man. It's just that intensity. I mean, like we were talking about the drums, that's, that's the type of intensity I, I look to bring anytime I'm behind a drum set, you know? Uh, and and oh, getting back to Shannon, it's uh, Shannon. I remember when Shannon got those sonar. See those sonar drums. You remember oh, when Shannon? Yeah. Shannon was at um, at uh, the music building. Yes, he was. Yes. Yes, you remember. And Vernon told me specifically when uh, he Shannon said, "You know what? I w- I want drums like." Those rock players, I want those square toms. We call them square toms because it's 12 inch diameter, 12 inch depth, 13 inch diameter, 13 inch depth. So they're square sizes, you know. So and and that was what those rock players were playing. And he's like, No, I want that too. I want that. Too. I want that type of sound. And Vernon said, Everything changed. He remembers that everything changed when Shannon got those drums. Yeah, those drums too. He played sonar drums. Yes, sonar. They're German drums. They're German. made, and uh, I, I, I carried those drums <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> over several continents. Oh, they're they're heavy drums. Extremely heavy. They're, Extremely heavy. They're they're thick. Th- yeah, it's thick, dense wood, and you really, they're instruments. You know. Yes, yes. There yes. are other drums you know very well that work great. You put a mic on them, and they make a noise when you hit them, and they're yeah. terrific. Go. But sonors are their musical instruments. You have to, and they've got all these overtones and ringing sounds in them. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because it was tricky working with Shannon. It was tricky working in the studio. It was even trickier on the road because, you know, you show up in a town and maybe somebody's got an idea of how these things should fit together. Maybe they don't. And trying to, you know, maybe they have the right equipment. Maybe they don't. And trying to convey that sound to people and uh, Mm, mm -hmm. Shannon was very very diligent about really trying to get that right it was hard to do but you hear it in these recordings yeah this I didn't tell you uh what that recording was that we started with actually was that temper it was I don't know how to say it we're in Finland yeah yeah (laughs) temper I I did a gig with Vernon with your Hemby brothers in Tampere (laughs) you should know yeah man I I'm usually good with that stuff. What should we say? Tempere? Tempere. Let, Tempere. Let's, T-A-M-P-E-R-E. We're it, going with that. If we're incorrect, you can call up and give us the phonetic. Our uh, Finnish <laughs> listeners, <laughs> please do jump in. Well, we are. this is called the Tempere Jazz Happening at the University of Tempere. Mm-hmm. In, uh, November 1st, 1986. And uh, this was a radio broadcast. And I think they did a a pretty nice job capturing the sound. I mean, it's, I can't tell you, hearing this band live, it was a massive, monstrous wall of mm-hmm. volume that poured off that stage. And uh, so if you're listening on the radio, crank it up. Crank yeah. it. Yeah. Crank it up, up like, you're, like you're playing, you know, the power station. You know, I, I, that's the type of... Crank it up like you're, like, like you're playing... Your favorite Metallica album. I want you. You're supposed to listen to this music with that type of volume, 
You know, it's this is not music to to have dinner to. No. You know, you know not, not unless you, <laughs> not unless you're at uh, I don't know, not, not unless you're you you want to bite the fork and chip your teeth. But you know, you want to hear something funny? Actually, yeah. you just reminded me of. We were in Chicago one time, uh-huh. and uh, this journalist was interviewing Shannon, uh-huh. and he, we were playing a kind of funny rock club where they would have blues bands they would have like different you know it was kind of kind of an like oddball place to play a little mm-hmm. bit but you know it's a good sound system I, I booked it I knew it would work and uh, this interviewer goes well how come you're not playing you know Joe Siegel's you know like one of the more standard like a, he wanted to hear a jazz venue and Shannon looked at him I'm not going to impersonate Shannon's Texas draw but Shannon looked the guy in the eye he said look here he goes, you want to sit down and order a nice steak while you listen to my music? I will barbecue that steak in your belly. Wow. 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 Yeah. Wow. So. Wow. So many things are going through my mind just analyzing those, those words in that sentence. Wow. Barbecue dog. Barbecue dog, yes. Which is a Shannon album. Yeah. Yeah. Vernon's on that one, right? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Vernon needs to call me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he says he's busy this Sunday, but okay. Vernon, (laughs) Vernon, we're sending you the bat signal. Yes. Gaze up into the heavens above Staten Island. Text me, text me, Vernon. All right. No, but yeah, like, uh, like I was saying, those drums... The thickness, the heaviness. Uh, I, Vernon said he had to carry those drums as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think people understand. Like when you're doing these European tours, Europe is a continent, and and you know it's uh, all these countries are right right up against each other. So you could do a tour, and j- just by train, which is what what you guys used to do. I think I did that with Elliot Sharp recently, and. You're going from country to country, uh, country to country, like you go from state to state in yeah. America. You're going country to country, and and then you just take take a train, and then you gotta rush, rush to catch the transfer, or is you gonna miss the concert? So you gotta rush with with all the all your luggage, all your equipment, all your drums. Now I think now most venues have uh, backline. Yeah. And but but if you want to be specific with your equipment and you want to use your same equipment through the entire tour, you have to carry your drums. You know what I mean? I mean, if I'm, which is what I like to do. If I'm playing with Elliot Sharp, or Rebo, or Vernon, or something, then it's not really it's not really about me and my drums. You know, it's any any drum that's in the realm of what I play, I can use. But if I'm doing my thing, I want to play my drums. So you have to load that on your back. Yeah. Or you have yeah. to have a great crew like uh, Mitch and Ethan. And uh, Ethan, do you want to mention Ethan? Yeah. Ethan, well, Ethan Singer, some listen, long-time listeners might remember, my radio partner. He, would, he and I did this show together for years. Really? Yeah. But Ethan's uh, secret identity was an audio engineer. Still is. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan's out in Bend, Oregon, and uh, living good out there. He's li- he's probably listening, though, right? 
Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, Ethan. <laughs> Ethan, I had a I had a lot of fun with Ethan in uh, Italy. Remember, remember? I do remember. You remember? Oh man, <laughs> you got stories. Remember? 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 Oh man, I don't know if I can go into that. Well, uh, Italy and, and and you know Paris and. You remember that meal we had in Florence? The guy took us to his like uh, private little spot. It was during truffle season. Oh man. That was a good one. I think I think I remember. That. I, <laughs> I think you don't. But the, I, <laughs> no, it's it's all a blur to me now. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> it's anyway. all a blur. I'm old now, old man. <laughs> anyway, okay. No, but the show's called Deep Focus, Deep Focus. and uh, Don McKenzie's putting the laser onto the group Last Exit, and yeah. this really it is a thrill. This music is I, intense. I, it is intense. It is boundless. Boundless, yes. It. Is I'm gonna I'm gonna let's let the listeners choose their own adjective or none or just just go blank and and get in it. Yeah. Crank it up. Mm-hmm. We're going back to Tampere, which is near Tampere or Tampere or whatever the. Um, my apologies <laughs> to anybody who knows anything about Finland. Well, that I, I don't. Know. don't. I, but uh, I don't know. My wife is pretty good with uh, that stuff. She's in the other room. I don't know. Maybe she could check. We'll find out. We'll, find out. we'll get an answer to that. Okay. But meanwhile, the music will prevail. Okay. So yeah. uh, back to the stage with the group Last Exit. Yeah. It's Peter Brotzman, Sonny Chirac, Bill Laswell, Ronald Shannon Jackson. Jackson. Yes. WKCR. Oh, <laughs> 
They're going crazy. Absolutely. They're going crazy in Tampere. Yeah, and Carla says we are actually pronouncing it correctly. That's miraculous. (laughs) Tampere, Finland. Uh, November 1st, 1986, the band Last Exit. And uh, it's another thing about this group, as I recall, just thinking back, they did not usually do very long sets. Well, but I mean, it was so it was so intense. I don't I don't think you need to do a long set. I mean, you know, you you get to the point. You get to the yeah. point. Well, why do you, why do you have to draw it out for three hours? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> I, I I mean, to this day, I still I still think some of the shorter sets, shorter concerts I've done are are, are, are the best. I mean, if you're playing with Vernon, who wants to stay on stage for two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> when, it's, when it's feeling good, then you gotta go long. But I mean, you know, uh, Elliot Sharp is, 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 has the same philosophy as, as I do. Yeah. Uh, Elliot, Elliot's like, okay, that's it. Yeah. That's it, okay, we, 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 we made our statement. That's it, we're, we're not gonna draw it out and, you know, we made the statement, that's it, boom, yeah. let's go. Yeah. Well, so, you know, Vernon, he doesn't sleep, you know. Oh, it was he. We got stories of Vernon. <laughs> Vernon would be on the tour bus. This is Vernon Reed we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Vernon Reed. Who uh, you might know as a New York improviser. You might know him as having been a member of Ronald Shannon Jackson's Decoding Society. You might know him as a rock star with living color, mm-hmm. any or all of the above. Or you might know him as the guy who used to stand and sometimes still stands in front of Don McKenzie while Don's playing drums. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, was the last time, last time Vernon and I played was at Iridium. I was there. That no, was a nice hit, man. Really? I I thought this the first set was better than the second set. Second set I was a little a little winded. Which set did you see? First, second? Ah. Uh, I saw the second set. I did see the second set. Man, you should have seen the first set. <laughs> the one that got away. It was the one this that, big. Oh, man, it was huge. Okay. No, but uh, but Vernon has a thing where Vernon Vernon doesn't sleep at all. Vernon's a Leo. And uh, Vernon doesn't sleep at all. He'll, he's the guy that gets up first and he goes to bed last. Yes. And he practices all the time. I mean, uh, one day, Vernon pulled me aside. See, I, I'm giving you some uh, inside information, <laughs> right? I, I think I think I was getting getting really. I was getting a little lazy. It was like one of those long tours, hmm. and I was getting really a little lazy. Vernon could tell if I'm uh, if I'm not feeling it when I don't take chances. Hmm. Vernon likes for me to take chances. He doesn't want to hear what he heard me play the night before, or the night before that. He want, even if you falter, he wants to hear you at least go for something. So he said to me, he put me aside in the dressing room, and he said, uh, and he was, he was practicing. Vernon, Vernon and I are, I think we're the only ones usually that warm up because, you know, guitar is very, you know, you get tendonitis if you just jump out there doing those 64th notes and stuff. And drums are the same way. You have to really get the blood flowing. Through your, through your system. So he and I usually just sit in the, uh, the dressing room together and we have the metronome going and we use the same metronome and, we, and I'm doing my thing and he's doing his thing. So he said to me, he said, 
you know what? Some people don't have to practice. <laughs> Some people are like Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix played all the time. Yes, but 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 he was saying that you could be just gifted and just, you know, Jocko or something. And the rest of us, Don, we need to practice all the time. <laughs> so he was trying to throw those words at me. He was trying to be a little slick with it. He's like, he's like Don, practice and play everything. Don't mm. give it to me safe. Mm. And and I, I try to do that now when I when I play with my groups and, and play if I'm if I'm able to if I'm playing with Cat Deluna, who I who I play with or Khalees or something, you know, uh, um, and it's a pop gig. Oh, you got to stay in your lane. It's not right. a, it's not about you. Right. You you you're there to support the singer, the the whoever's in front. You know, uh, in the, in her heels and stuff. Like that. <laughs> but you gotta. You, but if it's about me, it's about being creative, jazz fusion. Then you want then take a chance. Hmm. And I, I tell some of my students that too. Some of my students come to me and they're like, uh, "Well, Don, can you teach me how to do this fill that goes this way and you know come out and then you hit the ride cymbal on the bell and you, you turn around and the, you choke the high, yeah, you know." And, and I tell them, I said, "You just gotta play. I'm not. You gotta play so much that these things are natural. I don't want to hear a fill that you worked out in your yeah." In in your bedroom or in your practice room, I mean that that to me is corny. I don't want to. I don't. Wanna, I don't. Wanna, I want to hear something. I want to hear something where you're listening to the other instruments. If 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 you're playing in an ensemble, you're listening to the people, and you're reacting to reacting to what they are 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 sending to you. Then well, that, then that fill goes. Right. Then then that fill comes in naturally. So 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 I mean you, you just have to. As a musician, you got to practice, play. Absolutely. Right. Well, you are listening to WKCR oh, FM that. New York. No, WKCR HD One, and my name is Mitch Goldman. We call this show Deep Focus. Here with you from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. tonight. Yeah, and we're a third of the way through it already. It's flying away. Yeah, from us. yeah. It's right, going through our fingers. Yeah, yeah. Deep Focus. We always have a guest musician tonight, drummer Don McKenzie. And our focus is on uh, an artist of the guests choosing. And tonight it is, this is thrilling to me, I've done a lot of these shows. Nobody's ever called for this band, Last Exit. And it is a favorite band of mine. Yeah. And uh, one that I know quite well. I got to see many times. And um, with, with a very distinctive sort of profile, it's the groups composed of Probably the least known in this country is um, saxophonist Peter Boltzmann, but he is no less a bright light for that. But Sonny Chirac on guitar, Bill Laswell on the bass, Ronald Shannon Jackson on the drums. And uh, we're listening to this live recording, stunning live recording from Tom Pere, Finland, uh, uh, November of 1986. Uh, Don. Yeah. We've been talking a little bit about music and interaction. Let me throw a couple of words at you and tell me, bounce them off you. Tell me if they resonate with this group that we're talking about. Mystique, swagger, <laughs> presentation, 
mistake swagger presentation well uh style style i mean going are back, those significant or is it really just about very, the music well i think i think it's about the music uh 90 90 95% but then it's there's a mystique and a style that 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 comes out like I was saying before about the drummers, about about rock drummers having the big hair, you know, and 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 the spandex and the and the jewels on and 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 the big drum sets and and a lot of those people were uh, a lot of the jazz people uh, uh, rather were influenced by Miles Davis and Cecil Taylor and and how they dressed. They're always way ahead, pushing the envelope. Uh, you know, they they would go and say, "Oh, I." Got, I got this stuff in uh, Japan, you know, or I got this stuff in Italy, and come back and dress a little, you know, dress, you know, just just look like you're not the average, you know, what I'm saying. <laughs> so, so I mean, uh, Shannon had that, you know, Shannon and Shannon, Shannon played drums in a way that I I like to play, very forcefully, very, very hip. I mean, you know, you know, you, you can't can't look at this guy and say and, and not say oh man this guy got to be hip you look, look at his clothing look at look at his look at his, how he had his hair i think miles did that too miles had the extensions yeah remember in the 80s and the yeah. 90s yeah, extensions yeah. Were, sure extensions were extension in. that's a nice way of saying <laughs> <laughs> extensions are weak miles yeah miles yeah extensions and you know the big hair thing and 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 uh you know i i i was attracted to that I was attracted to that because it was uh, there were uh, as opposed to just looking at um seeing you know white guys dress hip and playing big drums I could see a black man like myself that 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 was dressing hip playing drums the way I like to play drums heavy hi hat heavy bass drum kick drum you know toms that are squared sizes big drums you know I mean I I had this impression of uh, black drummers playing like the you know Max Roach style kit, you get your little Gretsch with the 18 bass drum, 18 inch uh, diameter bass drum, and you know and they're tipping and and that wasn't me because I didn't I didn't practice like that I didn't hear drums like that like I said I I played at full volume when I could. Well, you're talking about practicing 10 hours a day. Shannon did that yeah every day yeah. for. Decades, like he had to do that. He would get to the studio. He was, he was in the music building, which is a building yeah. on uh, it's still there on Eighth Avenue, Thirty Eighth Street, and it's all just filled with rehearsal studios. And you'd see other musicians around. Some of them, Madonna used to sleep there. Oh yeah, and yeah. It know, was uh, a well, storied it, building. It it's, was. It was. She was not the only one to uh, yeah to take residence there. Take residence there, or the only one to become a, a big. Uh, Sensation later, but um, no, he would get there. He would get there about at night. I was say about midnight, maybe, maybe a little bit earlier than that. And he would play till the sun came up and keep on playing. Yeah. And every night, and he it wasn't. I don't mean it was partly uh, needing to practice and chops and all that, mm -hmm. but also just you know music. Yeah. Coming out of him. You know, I mean, you have to do that. 
I mean, I, I, I can't really do that anymore. I have the kids and, and wife and stuff like that. And But as I try to play as much as possible, and sometimes to the detriment of, you know, friendships, relationships, you know, people can't really comprehend. Why are you going to the studio on Thanksgiving? Why are you going to the studio on New Year's Eve or on Christmas? Because, I mean, you have to. It's like there's something inside you that I gotta express myself. I have this, you have these ideas of what you wanna sound like. And you like, to sound like this or get this out, I have to practice and I have to get to it. It might, I might not get to it until I'm three hours in, you know, behind the instrument. But you have to be able to do that. And and, and you could listen to the, these uh, the Last Exit uh, live tapes, and then you you know this guy is in his instrument. You know what I mean? Oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, you're, you're, it's, it's, he's one, one with his instrument. And, th- and this is what I strive for, too. I strive to be one with my instrument. And that, that only comes with repetition, as I tell my students. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta do it all the time, you know? You can't you can't play a figure and say, Okay, I got it right once and okay, cool. You gotta be able to do that figure over and over consistently till it's second nature. Like know Bruce know? Lee. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I say, drums are like martial arts. Yeah. You you're stinging the drum. It's not brute force. You're not like you're not you're not hammering a nail. You, you, you're stinging the drum to get that sound to come out of it. And and that's pure technique. Bruce, there's a great quote from Bruce Lee that's uh, something to the effect of, uh, he'd, rather, if he had a, he'd rather have to fight a guy who had practiced 10,000 different punches than a guy who practiced one punch 10,000 times. Mm, wow. It's Unless deep. I got that wrong, but something no, but like that. I think I think I get what you're saying. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. You know how how deep can you go? How, what can you find in that thing? This thing, seemingly simple thing. How much can you pull out of that? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I go the, I go to my studio sometimes, and I just I just do single stroke rolls. You mentioned you mentioned Cobb doing a string, single stroke roll earlier in the show, uh-huh. and I didn't really get to jump into it, but. The single stroke roll, uh-huh. it's, it holds a very specific kind of profile for drummers. Yes. And it's role in music. And there are drummers who do them and drummers who don't do them. And it seems extremely simple, but it's not a simple thing to do. And I wonder if you could unpack that a little bit. Well, well, I, I think you, maybe you're talking about the double stroke roll and a single stroke roll. The single stroke roll, if you're going to do a single stroke roll with precision, that is that is a press roll? Pre- press roll is is a double is it, stroke roll. That's, okay, yeah, right. Well, well, rock drummers don't really do those. Jazz drummers do them all the time. You know, uh, if you can make your single stroke rolls sound like a press roll, then you got something there, and 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 that's that's an art in in itself. And uh, let's see, Billy Cobham, Tony Williams, Philly Joe. Philly Joe, Philly Joe, Philly Joe. It's Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. This one originally aired Monday, December 8th, 2015. As you know, Don McKenzie, my guest on the topic of the group Last Exit. There's two more parts, so go and check them out. And when you do, 
make sure that you are subscribing to this podcast. And I'm going to ask one thing of you. Let one person know about this show. You could do it through your social media. You could just tell somebody. But um, we want people to know. It's free. We're giving it away. And we want people to understand and appreciate what you know. And you know that music can provide a kind of sustenance that other things are not going to give you. That very idea is completely alien to a lot of people. Share that. Share this show. Let someone you care about know that this is something that you get and gets you. How about that? All right. See you over at part two.